Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow the Hidden Yardage Podcast. Subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. It's part of the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Martin. Sean, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, great to be back with you. We just had probably one of our better Twitter spaces that we do before every show, so you guys can always catch those on Sunday nights on our Twitter accounts, Blog and the Boys. But we had former Cowboys receiver Jesse Holly, who is proudly a New Jersey native like I am, and so we had some fun talking about some Jersey traditions that you've heard on this show before. Of course, the pork roll thing and a couple other New Jersey uh, namesake type of things, so that was a lot of fun, and we also talked Cowboys with him, so that's, of course, available on replay and live on Sunday nights, and now we got to uh, some more Cowboys topics to dive into here. Yeah, he's from Roselle, and where are you from? So I'm from Point Pleasant. Roselle is way up north, uh, pretty close to where I went to college in Montclair, uh, really good bas- uh, high school basketball area. I used to cover some games in that area and all that. Roselle Catholic is a school that's won you know, the final tournament of champions to be the number one team in the state a couple of times. I was still living there. So, yeah, Roselle is uh, up in the north part of the state, and I was along the shore uh, in Point Pleasant. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Where can they follow you at, Sean? I am at Sean Martin NFL, uh, tweeting from here in Austin mostly, but I got – a uh, trip to Montana that I look forward to. I know I've teased that before on here in a couple of weeks. So that's finally starting to set in, and I'm uh, starting to do some preparation for that. Well, before you get to Montana, let's go ahead and wrap up mandatory minicamp, uh, which the Cowboys did. Hey, they actually cut early. It was supposed to go from July 14th through the 16th, but on July 15th, Coach Mike McCarthy said, you know what, we're going to have a team bonding event at Top Golf because – we all caught up, did all of our work virtually throughout the offseason. I like the progress everybody made with their position coaches. And so I like the rookie class and how much maturity they've shown. And so they did. They they cut early. And uh, so there it is. It's over. The Cowboys offseason program is over. Now that it's concluded, Sean, what did you not hear from OTAs and minicamp that you wish you would have? I think with OTA practices, you have to know how, you know, first and foremost, how to weigh the different positions as far as, you know, what they, what's the ceiling on what they can actually show you. You know, you might get a report that, you know, running back is looking great, but then you have to take into consideration, you know, can the defense really hit him and, and do those types of things. Um, you might get, you know, a quarterback throwing great, but again, the same thing with the secondary, you're not being able to play up to par like they would going into training camp in the preseason. But that said, I think, you know, we've been concerned about wide receiver all offseason. It's been such a hot topic thing before the draft and then going into the draft when they waited all the way until the third round to take Jalen Tolbert. 
and to make matters worse here, not only do we not get you know many great reports about what these receivers are doing, just starting off with Dak Prescott, a lot of them were you know not even on the practice field to maybe even make those types of plays when it comes to Tolbert doing some things and then James Washington still trying to work his way out there. But I do think receiver is one of those positions where you can actually use these practices to get better. And the Cowboys need all of those they can get between Prescott and these receivers. And so the fact that they cut a practice short and didn't, and we didn't at least hear much about the time they were on the field, being able to connect much on offense. Sure, it's another great sign for Dan Quinn's defense. We all think that they might, you know, be carried by Quinn's defense even more this year. And, you know, that's certainly a good thing to look forward to. But man, you'd like to hear more about trying to hit some of these receivers other than CDLM and getting Lamb some help, you know, early in this season when you're not even going to have Michael Gallup. It's a, it's something that we're going to carry well into training camp, I think. Yeah, I wanted to hear more about James Washington. I was hoping that he'd get out of that walking boot at some point during the off-season program, but, you know, it just didn't happen. They're being cautious. He's a veteran. He's a known commodity. They know what he can bring, so you don't necessarily need to foist that on uh, the situation. You can just allow him to meet with Dak in the Dak yard or wherever on one of their uh, receiver quarterback retreats, you know, and then we'll have to see it through Instagram posts and so forth. But, um, yeah, I would have liked to have heard something a little more with regards to that. Um, I also would have liked to have heard that Tyron Smith made it back to the offseason workouts. I know that his back tightened up a little bit. Then they held him out and, you know, they, they were just cautious with him. Would have liked to have heard that, you know, they didn't need to be as cautious, if you know what I mean. But obviously, whatever was going on with his back, they just decided, you know what, it's not really worth it to press it through the off-season workouts. Um, Also would have liked to have heard a little bit more of from just the whole situation with the rest of the linebacking core. You know, because Michael Parsons, you know what you have there, but what are some of the other linebackers, some of the support linebackers going to do? And I would have liked to have heard a little bit more from that, but instead, you know, you didn't really hear much. But that's what I would have liked to have heard. Yeah, a linebacker, they're kind of expecting Jabril Cox to have somewhat of a big role, and I think he's ready for it personally, but... I'm starting to question if that role, you know, just by scheme and design is going to be big enough, you know, for him to really show everything that he can do. I think he'll make an impact in the snaps he plays, and that could be pretty significant. But I think this team is defensively getting ready to just play a ton of nickel-type looks where you're replacing linebackers with, you know, Javon Coase, we already know, does that type of thing. But Jordan Lewis can even play that role. He does it against the Eagles every year um, when they were, you know, targeting their running backs and tight ends a lot more. In the passing game, that's been a big change for them. So, you know, between Lewis and Brown, and that's assuming you can get someone to step up at corner, whether it's Kelvin Joseph or Deron Bland, so that they can play that kind of outside nickel role instead. And then Coase and Jabril Cox being your other linebacker, I think they're getting ready to just play a ton of these 
kind of smaller looks back there and not could have as much of a need um, that we think they might have, just looking at the depth chart for linebacker. And you did bring back Van Der Es, you know, when he's out there, you have a traditional linebacker type of look. And I do think they, of course, want him out there. But, yeah, Cox is going to have a big role, and Curse is going to be playing down in the box quite a bit. And that's kind of where the Cowboys' defense is heading. It, But they were trying to do that last year, though, um, with Keanu Neal, because he was originally a safety. And then they moved him to linebacker because they were trying to get him to be that big nickel. It looks like that Dan Quinn has finally found his big nickel in J. Ron Curse. So you're right, the linebacking core – uh, when they go to their packages, they they may be brought off the field a little bit in favor of defensive backs who can provide some run support. It you know in in those packages. Yeah, it's going to put more pressure on this defensive line. But if you're looking for positive updates from OTAs, you know we did hear some good things about just the entire depth of this, of this defensive line, really putting some good rushes in and, you know, Quinn working hands-on with those guys, which he loves to do. So, you know, if that front four is really as interchangeable and as athletic and lives up to the full potential that we see just on paper right now going into training camp and in the season, of course, you know, then you can get away with maybe having a little bit of, you know, you can hide a guy. You, you know, you've talked on here before about can you hide a left tackle or a right tackle and how, how would you sift the offensive line to cover up your weaknesses, you can hide, you know, some players in the second level if your front's really getting after it. And those second level players don't have to be coming on the rush where they can get even more exposed, but they could just drop into coverage, play to run, and then trust what you have, you know, a cornerback or, of course, Trayvon Diggs. You know what you're getting there as a star type of player. So, yeah, a lot of pressure on this front four, but, you know, they've added some good names there. And you got a guy like Sam Williams who they're excited about. He's your second round pick, and we know kind of their history with second-round picks, trying to get them up on the field. So this is a hand-picked uh, Dan Quinn guy who's going to have a chance for some reps, I think. For sure. And with that being said, do you think that they're banking too much on good seasons from Sam Williams and Dorrance Armstrong? Because when Jerry met with the media on June 16th at that you know, announcement for the FIFA World Cup host cities, he talked about how they about how you know Sam Williams was so athletic and so forth and they saw something in him and they it just seemed like that they're putting a lot of faith in Sam Williams and Dorrance Armstrong to get this thing done in terms of edge rush what what do you make of that so I would say Williams, no, I don't think they're putting too much pressure on him. You know, I think it would certainly, you would feel less great about the depth you have on the defensive line if he's not contributing at all. But I think you have enough guys in front of him where you don't have to necessarily expect too much too soon from him. But I do think he has a trait as well to, you know, even if he's not getting after the quarterback, you'll see him flash against a run a little bit. You won't see him get thrown in the ground, washed out of a play. He's pretty strong at the point of attack. So, you know, just that alone gives him a chance to at least eat up some snaps, you know, so when you do inevitably get, get that injury somewhere on the defensive line and you're going to need a guy to take on a bigger role the next week and everybody moves up a spot, Williams can actually do that and see the field at a high level. But Armstrong, I would agree with you. I do think, you know, we're going to see 
a good version of Dorrance Armstrong, but I think the pressure for him to be consistent is really going to be quite a bit because he's a guy that can move around the front a bit, but when you're moving him around, everybody else, everybody else on this defense has to get set by, you know, what not only where he is, but what he's trying to execute on the play. So if Armstrong is trying to rush from, you know, a stand-up position in the A-gap, and Javon Coase is lined up somewhere nearby, or Jordan Orris is over there inside the cornerback, you know, they're expecting him to get home and playing their coverage a certain way. And if Armstrong's not consistently getting home from all the positions that he likes to rush in, then it can really have an effect on this whole defense. So, you know, without Randy Gregory, maybe Armstrong isn't going to move around as much. I could be wrong about that. And we could just see him with his hand in the dirt as your right end. And Dan Quinn would certainly know more than I do in terms of that's the best way to get the most out of him. But I do think one of his best traits is the ability to kind of disguise where he lines up a little bit, plays a little bit of undersized defensive tackle and gets after the quarterback right end and a stand-up rusher. But he's really going to need to execute in all three of those roles at a high level, you know, down in, down out for this defense to be successful. And I don't know if we've seen that from him yet. Yeah, here's what Jerry said. Here it was his quote. He said, quote, I like what we've done relative to our outside rush. Although I know that we've had some people concerned because Randy Gregory got out of here, but I feel good where we are, unquote. I, like I said, I think in terms of long term, when you look at the rookie contract of Sam Williams, yeah, it makes sense, you know, to. But for 2022, I, I just feel like there's some growing pains that this team is going to endure, and you hope that it's not compromised by availability issues with Williams missing time, with Armstrong missing time, with Dante Fowler missing time, that you do have your an optimal, let's say, rush package on the field as opposed to just sending Micah Parsons uh, to rush all the time. You hope that you don't have to break that glass in case of emergency. So I, I see the potential for it being good near the end of the year if you get a lot of contiguous reps, but just I, I think it's really, you know, placing a, a lot of hope on an unproven position, but that has potential. It is. And you, know, you think about Demarcus Lawrence over at left end, he's gotten a number of, you know, tandem defensive ends, his teammate over on the right side. He's played with a lot of them at this point. He's gotten, you know, second contracts with some of these players. He's helped them earn, you know, free agent deals elsewhere with kind of resurgent type of years thanks to the attention that he draws at left end. So, of course, the Cowboys are going to need more of that from Demarcus Lawrence and better pass rush is something that he's promised kind of going into this season as well. So, you know, can Armstrong be that next guy that elevates his game because he's playing a bulk of his snaps with Demarcus Lawrence? I certainly think he can be, but he's going to have to earn those snaps um, and make sure they're not going to, you know, a guy like Dante Fowler who has some history with Dan Quinn or having to move Parsons down there, like you said, or any number of ways his team can rush. Do they feel best about it just being uh, par- just being Armstrong and Lawrence paired together at right and left end, respectively? And that's the look that we'll get, you know, once the pads come out at training camp. And, of course, Tyler Smith will be out there, left guard, all eyes on him. Uh, trying to deal with some of these rushes as well. It's it's going to be interesting. I think that, like I said, they can get it done 
I think it's just going to take a lot of reps together. It's going to take Dan Quinn figuring out uh, how Sam Williams works. It's going to take Sam Williams buying in. It's going to take Dorrance Armstrong taking advantage of just some double teams that either Demarcus Lawrence is going to generate or Michael Parsons is going to generate, but just taking advantage of that. Like I said, I mean, I think the potential is there. I think, and Jerry, you know, encapsulated it. People would feel better if it was Randy Gregory still on the team because he showed the ability to take advantage of it. Um, Whereas these other guys, it's still kind of dubious that they will. And I think that, you know, that just engenders a lot of ambiguity. But, again, I think it's one of those issues that can solve itself throughout the rest of the season. That's a position where you would hope you make strides throughout the season. It really takes a lot of reps for in the game and throughout the season as well for defensive ends to feel like they have a grasp on how blocking schemes are going after them, how an offense is trying to trap them and things like that. So, you know, it takes those reps to get better, and Quinn is going to be getting those guys' reps in training camp, but those aren't quite the same as game reps. And so as those go on, you know, of course we would hope this pass for us is going to be at its best near the end of the season. We know how the Cowboys kind of limped into the playoffs this year and didn't get it fired back up against the 49ers who already had, you know, some momentum going into that game and were ready to, uh, you know, basically play playoff football against the Rams, won that game on the road, and then did the same thing to the Cowboys. So if they're going to avoid a situation like that, you know, defensive end is not the only position that you want to see playing well going into the postseason type of play. But it's up there in the list as far as almost the most important. You know, of course, this team will go as far as Prescott takes him, so you put quarterback at the top of the list. But we know what we have there. We're going to have to see about receiver, though. And then defensive end might be that third, you know, most important position as far as where this team wants to go and how likely they are to get there based on, you know, who performs on the depth chart right now at, like I said, quarterback, receiver, and then probably defensive end. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things that I think training camp will provide a lot of clarity because it won't be basketball and grass. It'll be hitting. And then you really get to evaluate not just the offensive line, but your defensive line as well, because now they've got to go through bodies to stop the ball carrier and to rush the passer. So it will. It'll be interesting. Um, and at that point, I, I don't think that Mike McCarthy is going to get fined too much, you know, for rough practices in training camp. Yeah, second year in a row that's happened to him, but not to make too much of it. I don't think anybody did. So that was good to see the uh, you know the hot take machine wasn't fired up for that one, but yeah, you know you want physical practices. So if, why do you think that happens? Why do you think that's happening though? For two years in a row, why do you well, think that's Well, for this year happening? there was some speculation that there was uh, a second-year tackle Josh Ball and rookie defensive tackle John Ridgeway got into it a little bit, um, and so those types of things can you know apparently cause the NFL to you know to enact this rule and pretty much look at that as a situation that's worthy of fine. So that's a possibility. But, you know, I think you just have a lot of competitive spirits on this team. And, you know, a lot of, especially this year now, you can say there's a lot of young guys who are really just trying to fight for spots. So, you know, you'll have to see that it's competitive out there. Of course, you want to be smart about it. You'd like to, in a perfect world, you know, do it without getting fined. But, you know, of course, the Cowboys will move on from this uh, 
about it really being a story. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating because this is, has happened since... Okay, how do I say this? You've seen these fines happen, these OTA fines and so forth happen with these coaches who have been out of the league and then there was a new collective bargaining agreement signed in 2020. So I wonder if in the case of McCarthy, he didn't have experience uh, an off-season program in 2019. You had COVID that stole 2020. And so the first off-season program for him was 2021 under this new CBA. Who else got fined that year? I know was Urban Meyer with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, coach who wasn't used to the, um, you know, the rules, let's say. And then there was another team that, you know, did horrendous, that got fined. I forget who it was. But then this year you see it was McCarthy again. And that's what I'm saying is I wonder if he and the staff, if he's having trouble with adhering to the CBA because he he talks in his press conferences or he did throughout the off season about how there's just not enough time and they're trying to cram in all of the, these eight installs, which he pared down to eight starting in 2011, which was interesting because that was the um, lockout year. And then they just had training camp in July. Um, so you basically have, I just wonder if McCarthy's still trying to figure out this CBA and how to be productive with it. And that's what's generating these fines. Yeah, in some ways that could be true. And then you also have, you know, still a somewhat inexperienced offensive coordinator where, you know, offenses stood, uh, stood still to show in practices where it's basketball and grass, as you call it, and there's no pads on for the defense to really do much of anything. So, you know, Kevin Moore probably has a big say in these practices as well in terms of what they're what they're doing. And, you know, it's hard to picture him as a really tough-nosed, uh, like, you know, when you be a more physical type of coach, I don't think that's in his DNA all that much. Of course, he wants to play a physical style when he's calling plays. He runs his offense through Ezekiel Elliott, who's turned himself into a more, you know, physical type of back and um, is working that way as opposed to being that speed, safety type of guy anymore. But I don't think Kevin Moore, you know, based on any of his actions or the reason that maybe these fires are coming down. I just think not having that experience, sort of having to defer to McCarthy, who's already been, you know, fined, as you said, and he's trying to delegate these things and teach his coaches, um, you know, it leads to uh, having some of the same, same mistakes happen more than once, which you don't like to see. So the Cowboys get fined two years in a row. One thing that Cowboys fans would love to see happen in 2022 is the induction of Jimmy Johnson into the Cowboys Ring of Honor. And while Jerry Jones didn't exactly address Jimmy specifically on June 16th at that uh, World Cup presser, he did mention that he actually just you know, induct decides to induct people, which I think this is, <laughs> I don't know about this, Sean. I just don't know about this. He says that he <laughs> decides to induct people a week or two 
before they go in the ring of honor. I, to me, that's just kind of, I, I don't know that I believe that because the announcements have been made um, in the summer with regards to the inductions of these guys into the ring of honor. Like, like Woody, for example, Darren Woodson. We knew about that in the summer of 2015 that that was going to happen. That didn't just happen a week or two before the Seahawks game on, uh, you know, in November of 2015. We knew about it. And so that's what I'm saying. Did he mean I do it a week or I decide a week or two before I tell you guys in the middle of the summer that we're going to induct them into the Ring of Honor? Because that one to do week thing before they go into the Ring of Honor. That just doesn't add up. But it's really got fans stirred up because now they feel like Jimmy Johnson's never going to go into the ring of honor. And do you think it ever happens? Do you think Jerry's going to put Jimmy in the ring of honor? It feels like at this point, right, and, you know, it's going to take Jerry building this team back to a a true contender again to then say, like, oh, I did it without Jimmy, you know, definitively, and then – at that point, you know, he, he would consider it. But, you know, how many years do you really have to to keep kicking this down the line, you know, to wait for that to happen? Every Cowboys fan around the world would say, you know, well, well if all it takes is winning again, then, you know, that could be as soon as this year. We all want to be optimistic right now. You know, oh, they're going to be winning under Dak Prescott. But, you know, that's kind of a fickle thing to, uh, to mess with somebody's legacy. And, of course, Jimmy's already in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, he's very comfortable with where he's at. And what he did with the Cowboys, but to you know to not be able to go to AT and T Stadium, a place that's and you mentioned this on our spaces, has hosted not only big Cowboys games but massive concerts and MMA fights and boxing and now the World Cup coming there and everything you know under the sun there in Arlington and you look up at the ring though and see a little bit of Cowboys history and yet Jimmy Johnson isn't there. It's just embarrassing, right? Yeah, and people have speculated that the reason why Jerry won't do it is because he's waiting to win a uh, he's waiting to win a Super Bowl, and then he's going to induct him into the Ring of Honor. That's the following season, and to me, that I never thought about it, but that theory kind of makes sense. What am I talking about? In Remember when Tom Landry was inducted? He was inducted in 1993. And this was, let's see, 89, 90, 91, 92. Four seasons after he got fired, which was Jerry Jones' first act when he bought the team. He was inducted in 93. What's significant about that? That's the season after Dallas won the Super Bowl big time over the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 27. And... It'd be one thing to induct Tom Landry in 1990 after your 1-15 season when, oh, you know, here we're still picking up the pieces after we fired you and, uh, you know, I'm the big villain in Dallas sports. It's another thing when Jerry's inducting Tom Landry in the midst of a Super Bowl reign when they're running it back. Okay, I think that may be now that I think about it, when I hear what people say, that may be what 
Jerry's trying to do is he's trying to wait for an opportunity when they finally built a championship team that has nothing to do with Jimmy Johnson, nothing to do with Bill Parcells, all of Jerry, Steven running the contracts on it, Will McClay, who's their guy in the personnel department, and a coach who they hired, whether it's Mike McCarthy or they promote Dan Quinn or even Kellen Moore. But they're doing it Jerry's way. And then they induct Jimmy in the Ring of Honor and say, hey, you know, thanks for helping. It, it was always my way. So, yeah, I now that I think about that particular theory, and when I look when he inducted Landry, it makes sense. It does, and, you know, it's not the best way to, you know, as Jones has put it in his own words, you know, always trying to keep this team relevant uh, no matter what they're doing on the field, which a lot of Cowboys fans kind of take some eye or two. Because they're like, oh, you know, the best way to do that is just to consistently win. And he's like, oh, well, we're trying. But as he dodges that, it's like, even even when we're not winning, but look at, you know, the business numbers and the cryptocurrency deal and, and all these types of things. So, you know, wouldn't putting Jimmy in just be another thing that you can create some buzz around and admit that it's been long overdue. But as you're saying, and as I mentioned as well, you know, if he's going to wait for a Super Bowl, it could be much, much even uh, longer than that as far as being overdue. So, you know, you have no idea when any of these teams are going to win their next championship. So, yeah, to have to hold out for that, it's not surprising, of course, given the, the long history of everything that happened between Jerry and Jimmy. But it's just kind of disappointing that it doesn't fit with, you know, what the Cowboys are always trying to do. And it, just, it doesn't fit with the history that they're very proud of. You know, like I said, even if you're not going to AT&T Stadium for a Cowboys game, you see all the names up there and you think about them and you think about what the Cowboys have meant. And Jimmy Johnson is one of those names that needs to be on there. Yeah. And you know, they're running out of time and uh, we don't need to elaborate exactly on that. Um, But they, I think that it just needs to get done because he, he didn't just get a Super Bowl; He got two. He didn't get two and then, you know, lost four others. He went two for two. He got the only franchise. I mean, to that point, it was Steelers. It was Packers, Steelers, uh, 49ers, and Cowboys that were back-to-back Super Bowl champions. I mean, no one. Then you had the Patriots. That is rarefied air. And Jimmy did it. So I, I think that he needs to look beyond it. But like I said, if he if he does it, that's how he's going to do it, Sean. Is he's going to do it when he can show, look, the Cowboys are doing fine without you. We rebounded. We're back, baby, and we're doing it our way. We're doing it my way. Well, let's make it this year then. Until let's do it. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, we'll we'll see if it happens this year. Um, it, hey, it's May. We just completed basketball on grass. Uh, now we have the six-week layoff and then training camp. But don't worry. There's no layoff around here at the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. We got you covered. So listen to our companion Monday show, First and Ten with Dave Sturchio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis because they're talking with Alec Lindstrom, the undrafted free agent center from Boston College. You'll definitely Want to check that out today. Drop same time as uh, ours on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. So, yeah, it's uh, 
it's all very fascinating. Let's go ahead and get to Cowboys' birthday, Sean. Uh, on Monday, we've got Jeremy Parnell turns 36 years old. He played tackle for the Cowboys from 2010 to 2014. His best season was in 2014 when he was the swing tackle and filled in for Doug Free for a couple games. Yeah, that 2014 line was, of course, one of the peaks of the Cowboys just being considered the best offensive line in the NFL, and they held that title for a considerable couple of seasons after that. But you know, 2014 was a special season, of course. It ended in a heartbreaking way. But DeMarco Murray made the most of that offensive line, and you know it just goes to show when even your backup-type players were pretty serviceable starters at that with a guy like Parnell who stepped in and did a good job. Yes, and uh, Jeremy Parnell, he called me out. I was at a charity event or something, you know, giving away the, I don't know, backpacks or something for Dallas ISD. And I was with Jordan Ross, of course. And Jeremy, he said, I've been listening to your questions. You're very sneaky with the way that, because I would ask, um, you know, what does it mean to be here today to give back to the community, blah, blah. And, you know, what does what it remind you of when you were a kid? And then I'd always hit them with a cat with you know with a football question after that. And so, what can you learn working behind Doug Free? You know, so that's he did. He called me out. He said I was very sneaky. So, yeah, I've done a number of those types of events with you know different things where it's not in a sports setting, and you got to be careful like how much sports you actually talk on the record. But you are a sports reporter at the same time, so they kind of should see it coming. So I've never felt too bad about trying to sneak in a football or basketball question or two in almost any setting. I think we've all been there before. Yeah, they can always say no, you know, and then you're the jerk at that point for pushing it. That's the way I look at it. But, uh, yeah, Jeremy Parnell, 36 years old, from Blytheville, Arkansas, by the way. Uh, On Tuesday, Dwayne Thomas turned 75 years old. Dwayne Thomas was uh, a key running back for the Cowboys from 1970 to 71. And he was, he was 33, he was number 33, and he was, he led the Cowboys ground attack, and uh, very fascinating short-lived career he had with Dallas, turned 75 years old on Tuesday. Also on Tuesday, Cedric Thornton played defensive tackle for Dallas in 2016, turns 34 years old, he's from Star City, Arkansas, actually covered his high school football camp in Star City, Arkansas, which is in the southeast part of the state. Just no one comes out of Star City. (laughs) And he did. They named the complex, the sports complex, after him, where they go train, you know, the indoor facility. I said, Cedric, what does it mean to have just the indoor facility at your high school named after you? And he said, I can't even believe it, and it's just a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, he used every bit of cachet that he had playing for the Cowboys to try to give back, and he wouldn't believe it, Sean. But, you know, this little town about, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 people in Star City, Arkansas, in southeast, the southeast part of the state, there was Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles. There was Vinnie Curry. There was Benny Logan. They were helping out Cedric run the camp. It was unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, he turns 34 years old 
on Tuesday. Yeah, obviously there was all Philadelphia, the Eagles, uh, defensive alignment. So the culture shock going from Philadelphia to that part of Arkansas was probably pretty significant. I don't know where their home states are, if they would have been used to, more used to that. But if you get acclimated to Philly, it'd be quite a, a different. I know I've brought up Arkadelphia as a city I drove through a little bit to uh, to get down here to Austin, Texas. And we talked about that on the previous part of this. So I remember writing up the scouting report for Fortin. That was something I, I kept up with pretty good at all my Cowboys outlets as far as when a new player would be added, getting into the tape and giving fans an idea of what they were going to see. And, you know, got myself kind of a little bit probably too hyped up for what he ended up being here. It just never really worked out. But, yeah, definitely had some good tape out there. Was able to sustain some years in the NFL. And like you said, uh, became the pride of Star City, Arkansas. Definitely. And then finally, on Thursday, Tony Hill turned 66 years old, played with the Cowboys from 1977 to 1986. He had a lot of big catches, big seasons in his career, but none bigger than on December 16th, 1979, when he caught a touchdown pass from Roger Staubach to defeat Washington 35-34, win the NFC East, punch the ticket to the playoffs, prevent Washington from qualifying for the playoffs, and it was one of the greatest calls. And if you watch the NFL films from it, Joe Theismann talks about it, about how he watched that play, and he said, oh, no, don't throw it. And then he sees it going to Tony Hill, and he says, oh, no, don't catch it. And then Tony Hill catches it, and he's like, oh, there you go. So, yeah, Tony Hill turned 66 years old, and those are your Cowboys' birthdays. The NFL films provide so many cool inside insider things like that, so I'll definitely be taking a look out for that rich history, you know, at their position there, of course, for the Cowboys. So a fitting way to end the list with uh, Tony Hill. Yeah, I believe it's on it's on the – it's a feature on the complete history of the Dallas Cowboys, 1960 to 2003. It's on that disc, on you know that particular. Um, if you want to check it out, it's probably on YouTube. You know, they upload so many things people do on that particular platform. But um, yeah, it's uh, that's really where I learned a lot of my Cowboys history. Sean was going back and watching some of those old highlights and everything, and those interviews, and just frankly memorizing them. And that, that, you know, that, that led to kind of the basis to be able to talk about the Cowboys the way I do today. So this is going to sound fairly terrible of me, but there was a famous high school football coach in New Jersey, but so famous that at the moment I can't remember his name because he didn't coach any schools that were near me uh, for a while. But at the end of his career, he coached uh, a school in Lakewood, uh, New Jersey, which is along the shore. And we were playing an afternoon game there. And Lakewood's this tiny school, never known for football. And he was just kind of living out the last couple of years of his coaching life. Saturday afternoon, just to clarify. You guys in New Jersey play on Saturdays, though. That's what I was Well, they didn't, Lakewood didn't have the lights and everything for Friday night lights. Okay. So, you know, Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Side note to that is I was in high school band and our colors are black and gold and the dominant color on our wool uniforms is black, so I wasn't a particular fan of hot, wet, or Saturday afternoon games. But we're there in Lakewood, and uh, they're doing this fe- NFL Films doing a feature on this coach. And I haven't gone back to watch it in a while, but I'm at least vaguely in the background 
with the whole band uh, somewhere in that documentary because Lakewood uh, was not having a successful season at that point. But when they played us, they actually had a chance to pull out that game, and it came down like a late fourth down. So NFL Films, you know, most of the season, when they got to the game recaps, it was pretty short because Lakewood wasn't all that competitive. But when it got to the Point Borough game, they, you know, actually spent more time than they would usually on it because it was the story of like, oh, they almost won this one type of deal for Lakewood. But Point Borough won the game. That's where I went to school. And it's kind of my, uh, it's kind of cool to say that I'm at least somewhere in a framework of NFL Films' work. There you go. Sean Martin, as featured on NFL Films. Yeah. So, and it's just another reason why you should subscribe to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher because we got the NFL Films featured Sean Martin, uh, you know, hosting on the Hidden Yardage podcast. You can follow him on, on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane and, uh, you know, the pork roll sandwich or the Taylor ham sandwich, however <laughs> it's going, you know, it is. Um, yeah. I can't wait to, to actually get to try this, you know, to, to build up the, uh, the hype for it and to have Jesse Holloway even talking about it. That was a lot of cool and something I'm going to definitely uh, send to some friends back home. Yeah. That was on the Twitter spaces that we do before the podcast, um, which by the way, he gave us a lead. He said that there is a deli in Dallas that's run by a guy from Jersey where I may be able to find the pork roll, cheddar cheese, fried egg, bacon, no pickles with ketchup sandwich. So I, if I can find it in this time zone, I'd appreciate it. If it's a true New Jersey and running it, then yeah, I'd say you're in good hands. I've, uh, you've talked to my friend Pat on the Twitter spaces. He's a New Jersey native that spends most of his time in North Carolina for college right now. And he says he has a pizza place he goes to an Italian place as well that are both run by New Yorkers and New Jersey natives. So, you know, you got to know where to go for these things. And, yeah, if there's a New Jersey native in Dallas doing this, then you'll be in good hands. And I'm, I might even have to go up and give it a try. You know, this is going to sound crazy, but – and I don't think anyone's going to believe this, but Christy Scales has some J- Jersey connections as well. So I'm going to run this by <laughs> her. We're talking like Jersey mob, like Sopranos connections. What are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean no, no. I just mean okay. she's got family in Jersey. I'm gonna run this by her as well, try to corroborate it, and uh, you know maybe save on a flight to Jersey. Yeah, I hope this works out soon for you. Like I mentioned, uh, I got my Montana trip to look forward to, and I texted you this week that I'm gonna be meeting a. You know, the friend I'm meeting up with in Montana has been there for about five years, but we grew up together in New Jersey. And so I'm hoping at this point he's been in Montana long enough. If I ask where to get a pork roll I can see, you might know a place near him. We can go do that one of those days that I'm there. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to seeing how this pork roll uh, story arc concludes. <laughs> it is a story arc at this point. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to like tie in some of my coworkers in my full time job to just start asking them if they've ever had it and sound even more crazy, but Yeah. Yeah. But hey, that's what we do. We talk cowboys and pork roll sandwiches on the Hidden Yardage Podcast. So there it is. Yeah.